0: Turn it on. There we go. Uh, Good evening, everybody. Turn in your Bibles to James chapter 4. Tonight we're going to be looking at um, a word called, it's pleasures in, in James, and it's likened to addiction. Those who have struggled with drug or alcohol addiction and have quit at some time know the phenomenon known as the dry drunk. This is the person who isn't using or drinking anymore, but who's mad that they can't. They're bored at the times that they used to be intoxicated. Their brains are no longer sedated. They have to experience life in real time and not in the slowed down time of intoxication. And they're generally angry, agitated, and very unhappy. It's called being a dry drunk. And usually it's only a matter of time before they either drink or use again. So why does this happen? Well, they've removed a significant part of their lives, a bad part to be sure, but a part that that has been a part of them. And the void that that has left has not been filled with something else. Sometimes they'll fill the void with another addiction, And if that addiction isn't of an intoxicating nature, they'll be better off, but they won't be cured. And that's what we're after. God cures addiction. I am not of those who believe that an addict is always an addict. God cures addiction. God identifies us as his children, not as icks, meaning something ick. God has to fill the void, though. Whatever the substance was filling up, God has to fill. Uh, That substance filled it falsely. God says, don't be filled with alcohol or drugs or any other earthly substance, for that is a waste of your life, but be filled with the Spirit. Today, we're going to let James instruct us how to avoid the extreme want that results from filling ourselves with the wrong things, and to teach us how how to fill ourselves with God. And that's in James 4. So let's open up in prayer. Let's thank God for the uh, truth that sets us free. Let's thank God for the ability that we have to be able to understand how to be free from the things that can truly enslave us. His word instructs us in that. If we approach his word with humility and reverence, not anything on our minds that would be negative, but open to learn from God, then we will learn and we'll find the means and the way of which that we can uh, be free instead of slaves. And so with that, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for this opportunity to be instructed by your word to have in ourselves your Spirit, which we have as all believers are and dwelt by your Spirit, that we may be able to comprehend and to discern the great things that we'll find in your words today. We are grateful, Father, for our Lord and Savior, for your Son who has made our lives possible and who has given us eternal life through his sacrifice, made us righteous and justified. We thank you so much for him, the result of your love for us. We know, Father, that you love us infinitely, and that you do not want us to be slaves. You don't want us to be addicted to things that are of this earth, but to be free, heavenly free, and to live our lives now in time as those who are freely citizens of heaven. May your Spirit instruct us in how to do just that, and we ask in Christ's name, amen. So as we have noted, this is going to be our last message on James. There's Again, this, this series which in which we're going to cover the entire New Testament is not meant to be a verse-by-verse study of the individual books that we're looking at. There is a lot in James that we haven't touched upon. What we're after is main themes. That's what we want to know. Main themes and some sub-themes of the books of the New Testament. Uh, for James, the theme of James has been living out your life of faith living it outwardly through good works, divine good works, and doing that despite the pressure that comes upon us by trial. There are sufferings in this world for the believer, and the believer must continue to produce the fruit that God desires him to produce, even when it's hard to do so. And that's what James is about, living out your faith. Not just having the faith and doing nothing, but having the faith and doing everything that the faith tells you to do. And this is positive. A lot of people look at James, the book of James, as something legalistic and therefore negative. But this is positive. We probably respond initially to faith without works as dead as something negative, but it's actually not. There are negative exhortations here and negative commands. In other words, what a negative command is is don't do this or don't do that. But all of that is under the umbrella of the positive. The positive is, James starts with, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. It starts with a positive. Be joyful. The trials produce endurance. The trials give genuineness, genuineness to our faith and make us mature. So instead of looking at the call to the spiritual life in a negative light, as a lot of people do, A lot of people see in God someone who just doesn't want us to have any pleasure at all. Do not look at the spiritual life in a negative light, but see it as a positive. When we lay aside the old, we can't stand naked. This is something that the New Testament speaks of, that we are not going to be naked and that we should never be. What happened in the Garden of Eden when they fell, they knew they were naked. But what are we now? What are we clothed with? Not what, it's a who. Who are we clothed with? When we lay aside the old self with all its sin and addiction and evil and nastiness, we can't stand there naked. We have to fill ourselves. Right. That's the dry drunk. The dry drunk quits the substance, but has nothing to fill the void. And without the substance and feeling empty, they get angry. They're irritable, and they haven't cured. They're not cured. And see, we need to be cured of sin. We need to be cured of the flesh in experience. And that's what James is about. We can't stand naked. We must clothe ourselves with the new self. Put on the new self, Paul says in Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3. So we say no to the negative commands, absolutely, but we embrace the positive commands. And in so doing, we do it with joy and excitement. The born-again believer is elected and designed by God to live eternal life now in time. We should not be looking for reasons to avoid living eternal life. Remember in James, uh, when we do it, I think it was Wednesday, where James makes up an objector, and the objector in chapter 2 says, look, basically he says, you can't judge my faith by my works. James says, wrong, wrong. Think of Abraham and Rahab. They showed their faith by their works. You could definitely see the quality of a believer's faith. Not faith for salvation, but faith in the life. Faith in the way to live. Faith in the following, picking up our cross and following Christ. Those, that takes faith. And that faith is manifested in works, as James said. And we shouldn't be looking for a reason to avoid that. Some kind of way out or loophole. And by the way, it doesn't exist. So, look at James 4.1. Now, what James is going to do here, it started in chapter 3, with, which we saw yesterday, which was the sins of the tongue or using our speech in a negative way. So, James is going to take this theme to live out our Christian lives, to not just have faith, but also live it out and have works. And he's going to use now specifics. In chapter 3, he used the specifics of how we speak, how we use our language. And now in chapter 4, he's going to use the specifics of what we seek for pleasure. All right, and that's why I tied this to addiction. And I'm using a very loose definition of addiction here. But all of us, if you don't have an addiction to a substance or you don't think that you do, all of us have, if you have a weakness, and I know that you do, then you have an addiction to that, whatever it is. All of us as sinners have some addiction, unless we've overcome them all, and and that would mean that you are quite mature. And and I I would applaud you for that. That's where we're all headed. So, what Paul, uh, sorry, James here is going to get specific now about what we seek in life. And this would be day to day, you know, what we seek day to day in terms of. Well, the first he starts with pleasure. So look at verse one, James four one. What is the What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is it not is not the source of your pleasures that wage war in your members? Now members here, the Greek word is uh, means parts. It means the parts of your body. You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. Now were they actually murdering one another? Probably not. Uh, But it would speak of hate for one another. So you lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. So we have pleasures there twice, in verse 1 and in verse 3. Now Notice, they're seeking things. They lust for things but they don't have. So it, it's just like the whole world here. But again, he's writing to Christians. Amazingly, the, the Christians here that are addressed in this letter are those who lust for things, but they don't have. So they're unfulfilled. right? So they, they've longed for stuff, but they don't have it. And so they live unfulfilled lives. And the reason is obvious. You lust... And you want to spend it on your own pleasures, so you lust. And because of that, because you're empty, right? You're really, in, as in Christianity, you, you're kind of like a spiritual dry drunk. You've, you, you're empty. You, you haven't filled yourself, your soul, with God, with God the Holy Spirit, say. And because of that, you're an angry person. And you're a contentious person. And you fight with others, as they are doing here. They fight and quarrel. So, in verse 4... See, James is really nice to them. Oh, no. Verse 4, you adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. And so, in this section here, we see what? They have committed adultery. And you can only commit adultery on someone you're married to. So, we're married to the Lord. Obviously, it's another plug for the fact that they're believers. And they're married to the Lord, but they are cheating on the Lord in a relationship with, with what? Well, the members of their body where the pleasures are, waging war. So, there's the flesh. And also, friendship with the world. And the, French, the world draws the flesh, and so the two are, um, they're, they, they're compatible. And that's why a Christian who is fleshly is a Christian who is also worldly. But notice God, in verse 5, jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. God is actually greatly desirous of the fact that we live the life that he designed for us that he wants for us which is the only source of true pleasure. And so he jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. But if we are a friend of the world, make sure you know that you're an enemy of God and you're going to be opposed by God. It's amazing to think that you could be a child of God and also have God as your enemy. But What this would mean is that God is opposing you. He's opposing the pattern or the life or the path that you're taking. And so in verse 6 he says, and this is encouragement now, but he gives a greater grace. Therefore it says God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And then he says, it's a command, submit therefore to God. All right, Be humble. Humble is submissive. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Now, resist the devil is to resist temptation to the flesh and to the world. And why would we do that? Because this life is far more precious to us and important. I mean, the eternal life that we possess as new creatures, it's far more precious and far more valuable to us than anything that the world can offer and anything that these pleasures can give. Because they don't really give pleasure, but we should back that up. They give pleasure for a little while, and then they take from you. Uh, These pleasures that James is talking about is, um, and it's never used, this word is used in other places in the New Testament, never in a positive light. This word is never used for pleasures that are good. And that is because in the New Testament, the source of these pleasures is not God. And God is the only source of our pleasure, which is true. These pleasures, once they're done fulfilling whatever your parts want, right, parts of the flesh, they take from you. They cost something. And in fact, we pay for them. And God is saying, well, James is saying, God is saying through James, look, draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. Again, in the uh, continuing in verse eight, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. In other words, make the decisions to be humble to God. Now, humble to God is defined here, right, by following God, by obeying God. That would be purity of heart, not double-minded. Double-minded means completely committed. Uh, not double-minded means completely committed. So he says, be miserable, mourn, and weep. And and not that we're all to be walking around acting like we're weeping, but that they have been rejoicing in sin. So he says to them, do the opposite. Be miserable and mourn and and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Why? Because you've been enjoying yourself in sin. Change that. And then he says, humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. We saw in chapter 3 yesterday that just as Satan loves to use the tongue, right? the tongue is set on fire by hell, James said. Satan loves to use the tongue to his own evil purposes, using us to gossip about each other, put each other down, judge each other, do it verbally. He loves it. He uses it to his ends. The whole media's world is running on it. He uses it to his ends. But so also does Satan use friendship with the world. Satan designs the world system to draw the flesh of human beings. It's designed that way. He's the God of this world. He is the designer of the world system. And the world system is designed to draw us towards it and become friends with it. The only escape, as James says here, is humility to God in which condition we clearly see is what the world is offering and that's which we escape from. And we get a double help here. Love of God draws us to God and God draws to us. Just, just loving God for who he is and what he's done it will, will draw you to him. You will want more and more of him. <clears throat> But as I said, it's a double help because if you love God and you draw near to him, you actually see the world for what it is. And once you see the world for what it is, you see that it is a hollow shell. It promises all kinds of things that it can't deliver on. It's smoke and mirrors. Its promises don't deliver. It's facades of goodness. It has facades of goodness with no substance. And we submit to God and the devil flees. I forgot my opening slide. How about that? Make friends with the world, and you invite the devil to take control of your life. Uh, we we pretty much assume that the devil can't possess believers because believers are the holy temple of God. I think that's a very good assumption. But whether you know that's not the issue. The issue is having our minds controlled. As James has said here, with faith without works is dead, and justification uh, is. In life, is not by just faith alone that we're just to believe the doctrine and not live it. James is saying, look, you have to live what you've been called to live. And if we don't do that, as as it's stated here in chapter 4, if I give in to the pleasures of the flesh and make myself a friend of the world, then what am I really doing? I'm handing over control of my life to the devil who is the God of this world. I'm being handcuffed by him. I'm giving it to him. So let's first describe the people that James targets in this section, uh, which they are not living out their faith. He says that they are adulteresses. Now, an adulteress is someone who cheats on their husband, and they're cheating on God. And how are they doing that? If we summarize the passage, they're lustful, envious, contentious, proud, unclean, impure, and double-minded. And what this means is that they've made a prison for themselves. And what it, the, the imagery that is so striking here is that we have put ourselves, those who are given over to this as believers have put themselves in a cell where the door is open and there are no guards and they could easily just walk out. But yet they sit there languishing in a prison of their own making even though they've been set free by Christ. If this is you, you sit in a jail cell with the door open. And you need to walk out. How do I walk out? Humility. Commitment. You know, I know at times it's it's hard because we're fighting our flesh. You know, no one here is saying that this doesn't have its difficulties to it. But it's you're submitting your life to the one who gave it to you you're submitting your way to the one who died for you you're you're just doing what you know naturally should be done for the one who set you free he's your new master and so you should obey him <clears throat> james told us in chapter 1 that when temptation meets with sin i'm sorry when temptation meets with lust we sin And when when sin matures, it produces in us death. It brings forth death. That's what's in chapter 1. The situation in chapter 4 is showing the specifics of that. Desire has met with volition or choice. And in James, the desire here is this word pleasures. Pleasures in your members. This is what death looks like. Notice the, the phrase, wages war. These pleasures are not just kind of hanging out in your members that are, uh, you know, just cozy. No, they're actually fighting. They're waging war. Where, was the, where would the war be waged against? It would be, what? Well, where do you and I feel? When pleasures are dragging us into something that, or they're tempting us to drag us into something that we shouldn't go to or do, what does that feel like? Where do you feel it? And you feel it in your, in your mind, in your heart, in your soul. And that's where these pleasures wage war. They're waging war with your peace. They're waging war with your contentment and your strength and your wisdom and all these good things that we are to have because we're in Christ. Now, every believer has peace with God, don't we? We're reconciled. That's what reconciled means. We have peace with him through Christ's cross. Every believer has peace with God. And then Paul writes this in, in Romans 15, 13, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Right? It's by faith. Faith in him. Faith in his ability to do Faith in his wisdom. Faith to know that, look, though I struggle in this life, it's not forever. The Sabbath rest is coming. The true Sabbath, which is really our jubilee. The year of jubilee. It's coming. We're going to be in heaven. We're going to be a resurrection body. All the, The struggle is going to be over. But before then, though it is a struggle, we must do it. Paul says, now may the God of hope, Fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Hope's confidence, and it's joy. Hope is joyful. It's coming, and I anticipate it with joy. And like James 4, Peter writes, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul." So there's that same phrase that James is using, wage war. Where are they? They're in the flesh. So Peter says flesh, Greek word sarks. James uses members. I'm going to remember the Greek word, not that it matters, but it, it's in members of your body. so it's kind of it's the same thing. It's another way of saying the flesh. Beloved, I urge you. First Peter 2:11. as aliens and strangers, why would he call them that? Because they're immigrants? No, it's because they're citizens of heaven. All of us are sojourners on this earth. All of us are citizens of heaven in Christ. I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. So there is a conflict inside of every believer. Probably in Galatians 5:16 and 17 state this the best, that the flesh wars with the spirit and the spirit wars with the flesh. And so there's a conflict inside of us. And that must, as soon as possible, be won by the Holy Spirit over the flesh. As soon as possible. Is there true victory here? Absolutely. Is there a cure for addiction? Absolutely. In Christ Jesus. It's when you give control of your heart, your soul, your mind over to Him. Then you'll be free of your addiction. Does it mean you'll be sinless? No. No. But you are going to overcome your flaws. You're not going to be perfect. But that thing that burdens you, that thing that rules you, that thing that you're afraid of that's going to rule you is no longer going to rule you. I guarantee you that there's victory in this. But James says how? See, some people think, well, can I just pray to God and the addiction goes away? And again, I'm speaking of addiction in any area can I just say, God, just take it away. You can try. It's not going to work. Um, will God instantly take an addiction away? Absolutely. I, I know of it. I, I've known people that it's happened to. But the the ones that that has happened to have had a heart at that moment that submitted to God. Like, completely. That was someone who was at their rock bottom. Who was thinking they were going to die or or something. Somebody, it's when a person has truly given it over. And I've seen that. That instantly a person can be cured. But for most of us, this giving over of everything to God is a process. But there comes a time, and God works on you to do this. This You're not alone in this. He's working on you to get you there because he loves you. God jealously desires the Spirit within you. He is, he is leading you to that place where He's going to say, so are going to give it to me or what? Everything? Are you going to give it over? And boy, is He so good at getting people there. Why is it that some get there and some don't? Because some don't place their faith in Him. right? The faith is that you don't need a lot, right? It's a mustard seed. But it has to be faith in him. Not faith in me and him. Not faith in them and him. <laughs> it has to be faith. Because who can do this? Who is the only one who can do this? And he, it's only him. Nobody has the ability. And so the conflict rages on. Notice, look how... Uh, um, Isaiah puts it. Isaiah 57:20 20 and 21, but the wicked are like the tossing sea for it cannot be quiet and its waters toss up refuse and mud. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. No peace for the wicked. Can I have war and peace? Well, sure, if you if you have the book <laughs> It's a big, huge, thick book that nobody has ever read. No, I know some people have read. I've thought about reading it. I like look at that thing and I'm like, eh. I only want to read it so I can brag. You know, I have no concern. I've, maybe someday I will. Who knows? It's too, but anyway, it sounds boring and big. Sorry about that. Can you have war in your members and peace in your heart? No. War and peace don't go together. Ask if you studied any, anybody who's <clears throat> been through war, when they're in the midst of war, when they're in the midst of battle, it's not a time of peace. It's a time of adrenaline. <clears throat> but notice, as Isaiah says, it's the wicked who are tossed about in a life. So let's take it from the sea and put your life in there. It's a life that's not quiet. It's a life that's not peaceful. It's a life that's tossed here and there. And in the beautiful description of it, like a tossed water that gets all brown and gross because the, the stuff underneath is all being churned up. There's refuse and mud and that's your life. Why? Oh, because you're wicked. Because you won't submit to God. <clears> that's <throat> James. Now, James is writing to Jews as we know. He writes to the 12 tribes of Israel. We've tried to explain this as being... Well, it's so early in the church that it's likely that the church, uh, if it's early as we think when James writes, that uh, there aren't many Gentiles in the church yet. So he's writing to Jews. But at least we, we do know he's writing to Jews. When he calls them adulteresses, look at this passage in Ezekiel 16.32. God says through the prophet Ezekiel, when they're in captivity in Babylon, he says to them, you adulterous wife. Now, the Jews that James is writing to would know this passage well. You adulterous wife who takes strangers instead of her husband. You know, and we'll say, well, you know, that's right. Israel, what a bunch of losers in the Old Testament, right? Always getting it wrong. But what about us? James calls those who give over to these sinful evil pleasures and the pursuit of them rather than pursuing god is that you're after your idol you know you're pursuing your idol whatever it is i'm calling that addiction for today but you know that idol is some kind of addiction and you're after it but you're not after god and this fits he says you adulterous wife you take strangers instead of your husband." This life in the world and in the flesh is a stranger to who we are. You realize that the flesh has been crucified with Christ. It's dead. You realize that the world, Jesus said the world's been crucified to me, oh, sorry, that Paul wrote, the world's been crucified to me and I to it. I belong to Christ now. Christ is my life. It's not I that live, but Christ lives in me. Galatians 2.20. And the world has nothing for us, nor its pleasures. Uh, God further condemns, in this passage, it was too long for me to put it all up on the board. He says this, he, God further condemns them through Ezekiel and that they're not like normal harlots. You know, adulteresses says, he says, you're not like a normal harlot. You actually pay your lovers rather than getting paid. You know, prostitutes get paid for their services God said to Israel you're paying those to commit harlotry against me and I love that image because our addictions whatever they are we pay for them and then they take from us <clears throat> whatever area of weakness you have and I look i'm I'm with you I have I, I am not telling you to overcome it now. or now. I, I mean, I am telling you to overcome it now. Don't get me wrong. But also don't get me wrong that I don't understand that things can take time and things are a struggle. And what God is here after is that you are after it. That your faith is in the right place. That faith is in this life that he's given me and I'm not going to toy around with the old life. And yes, if I I have an addiction, it's going to be hard to kick. But with God, I am going to kick it. And I guarantee you, you will. We pay for our addictions, and then they end up taking from us anyway. They take more. James says in verse 3, you ask, and that's in prayer, you ask and do not receive, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You spend it on your pleasures. In other words, you're paying for your pleasures, just like Israel paid for her lovers. And and speaking of paying, I read this phrase today. Um, One of the promises of the devil in our current world, especially with online, right, your you remember when – I remember when Amazon first came out or, or, you know, shopping online was first an option. And everybody was afraid that if I put my credit card into this machine, that number, that people are going to steal it and then everybody's going to steal from me. Well, they fixed that problem with some big-brain mathematical guy fixed that problem, some prime number thing. And <clears throat> so now, right, your, your information is fairly secure. People get their identities robbed here and there, but for the most part. So what What do you have available at your fingertips? You can pretty much buy anything that you want. Now, there's certain limitations to that, of course. But the promise from the devil's world, this is another addiction, is that if I buy enough of the right things, I will be whoever I want to be. I'll be whoever I want. I can make myself be whoever I want to be. The ads, the advertisements tell us. <coughs> just today, we're thinking of changing the background here a little bit. And uh, I went online looking at. Um, there are these really neat wood paneling things that might might work. We're, we're just all I did was go on a website and say, "Let me look at this paneling." Oh my! Every all afternoon. Every website I go to, if I'm researching anything, is wood paneling. It's all flesh at me. Everybody wants me to buy their wood paneling. Um, good Lord Almighty! If the ads tell us, "Look, you get the right things, you'll be happy. You'll be fulfilled." One writer called this transubstantiation. <laughs> I knew I'd blow it. Transubstantiation by credit card. Transubstantiation means that you're transformed into something. Transubstantiation by credit card. If only we had enough money to get all the things that we could be, we'd be supreme beings, wouldn't we? But we know that pleasures are not the same as happiness. These pleasures that James speaks of is not the same as happiness. Pleasures are temporary. They're unfulfilling. And in fact, as you give into them, they demand more and more and more. That's why it turns into addiction. You don't get lasting happiness, and you scour the earth looking for more of it. And instead of living in freedom, you have chained yourself. You've given your life over to Satan and the the world and the flesh. But happiness is eternal. And here's why. If you truly have happiness with God, do you have it all the time? No, we lose it. But when you lose your happiness with God, what do you do? Do you add something more to your life? Or do you go back to where you were? Right? You go back. You go back to the presence of God and you regain your happiness. You don't add more. You go back to where you left. God doesn't take from us. He adds to us. So we seek God in humility, as James says here. Sin is the opposite of that. Repetitive sin is an addiction. Now, I looked up some of the most, the most popular addictions are. Number one is tobacco. In my opinion, that is not a sin. I know in some denominations it is, and I don't see it anywhere in the scripture. <clears throat> Plus, it is not intoxicating, I don't think. Uh, I was a smoker for a long time. I, I quit for health reasons. So anyway, uh, <clears throat> the number one addiction is tobacco. Next is alcohol. Third, Marijuana. Fourth, painkillers. Fifth, cocaine. Sixth, heroin. Seventh, gambling. Eighth, sex. Ninth, internet. And that was the list. I, I researched in some other websites and I'm like, I don't want to do this. <laughs> so I quit research. I don't want to research addictions. It's kind of, you know, it's a bummer. Uh, <clears throat> so think about it. People get into it alcohol, marijuana, painkillers, cocaine, heroin, gambling, sex, internet. And I added food, because food can be a definite addiction. The internet can be an addiction. Social media can be an addiction. But any sin that happens to be your weakness that you return to becomes an addiction. It's, a more, it's not a clinical definition, but it works for this word pleasures. <clears throat> if you have one of these addictions, and yes, Christians can be addicts, If you give it up and you don't fill your life with God, you'll spiritually be a dry drunk. If you give up, you say, well, I can't do this anymore and you give it up. Bravo. You should. But if you don't fill your life with God, what you had in the addiction is going to leave a void. You kick it out, there's a void. The void must be filled with truth, the love of God, the presence of God. So that you don't go from you know, <clears throat> you don't go from quitting to anger and um, irritability and bitterness. That you go from, because if you're addicted to it, you've grown used to it. It's become your friend, like the flesh can become our friends. and It becomes almost like a partner in life. And so when you leave it, you divorce it, and you say this is dead, you must fill your life with God. What I mean by that, and that's not some existential thing, what I mean by that is fill your life with His Word. Fill your life with His Spirit. Fill your life with His presence, with His love. Think of, pray, Be, in the times that you've spent doing whatever you were doing, pray. Use that time in prayer. Speak to God of it. Relate to Him. Fill your life with Him. Now, next we see that prayer is negatively affected by worldly pleasures. Again, he says in verse 3, You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend it on your pleasures. Uh, And so, if my prayer life is something that is selfish, my prayer life is going nowhere. And I find that I won't really want to pray anyway. I mean, when I ask and don't receive... How many times, you know, where's the motivation to keep going back and asking? But if I ask God, as James says back in chapter 1, if I ask God for wisdom, and I get it, that's pretty cool. If I ask God for fortitude, for courage, for more insight into his word, and I get it, that encourages me to go back. Because it's exciting stuff. I say, wow, God really heard me. He does this so that we know that we so that we know that prayer truly works. Now, uh, when it comes to pleasures here, it's not technically about pleasure in general, and, and this people get confused on. I know probably we wouldn't here, but um, you know people in the world would think that God doesn't want us to have pleasure, that God is this you know one as uh, I think C.S. Lewis has in Mere Christianity, speaks of a little boy and and his image of God is someone who prowls around looking for whoever is having fun and trying to put a stop to it. And most people think that that's God, that there's no pleasure. Uh, This is not about pleasure. This is about the source of pleasure. God is going to give us a great amount of pleasure, but it's not going to come from the flesh. Its source is not going to be the world. His source is going to be God. Pleasure from the world never satisfies, and it traps us in a cycle where we need more and more and more of it. The cure is to seek God. Seek your true husband and father. God jealously desires the Holy Spirit within you. And so the cure is to love others. Rather than, what what did James have in his passage? Envy and contention. What is the opposite of that? Loving others. The cure is to be humble, which is to completely submit to God and not stand opposed to Him. That's a battle you're going to lose every time. You're not going to win a battle with God. The cure is to pursue good works. Consider what works you can do for the kingdom of God on a day-by-day basis. What work would he have me do today, Father? What is your business for me today, Father? I submit to all of your will, whatever it is. It's based on faith. And people say, I don't want to give over that much. Well, how is it working for you without doing that? How is life going for you? In your heart, if you haven't completely submitted to God, if you're playing games with sinfulness and fleshliness and worldliness, how's it going? Are you truly happy? Are you truly content? Is there an aching feeling inside of you that is probably the conviction of God, the Holy Spirit, that something's wrong? And if there is, look, faith can change it. Faith changes everything. The cure is to completely be submitted to God, not double-minded. Don't do some of the plan of God and ignore the rest and then pat yourself on the back for the parts that you do. Humble yourself and know with expectant joy that God is going to promote you, as Paul, as uh, James says here at the end. Humble yourself before God, and he will exalt you in the last part, in verse 10. All right, so pleasures. I have to hurry up here. I'm out of time. Pleasures is the Greek word hedene. Uh, hed, uh, I think the accent's on the last syllable, but yeah, that would be it, A. Uh, but this is where we get hedonism from. This is the word where we get hedonism. You can see it there, right in the root word, H-E-D-O-N. Hedonism. It means gratification of natural desire. And in Greek literature, say like Plato and Aristotle and those who came after them, they use this word in a positive sense at times and sometimes in a negative sense. They were mostly positive about it because, you know, they're pleasure seekers. But it's not, you know, in Greek philosophy, it was used as seeking pleasure with self-control. Like a lot of people think, like, say, Epicureanism. The Epicureans were just after party. They were like party animals. They were not. The Epicureans used wisdom and self-control But their end game, the Epicureans were their end game was pleasure. But they didn't they didn't want pleasure just recklessly. The Greeks were smarter than that. They they could see plainly that reckless people were not happy people. And so you know they pursued pleasure in in a way that was restrictive. And so we would say, well, what's wrong with that? God would say, look, where does there even though that did well for some of them and made their lives a little better. What was the source of their pleasure? What was the source of pleasure for, say, Platonism or Plato or Aristotle or Socrates? What was the source of their pleasure? It was wisdom and logic. It was human. Totally good stuff, but not divine. We are not to find pleasure. That's what God is getting at through our heads. We are not to seek pleasure on this earth. That doesn't mean we don't enjoy things on the earth it means that our source is always God. So take the addiction to sex. Has God provided pleasure in sex? Absolutely. But in a far greater way than the world is trying it. With fornication and adultery and pornography and uh, whatever other kind of stuff that they do that is of an uh, illicit sexual nature, how's that working out for them? Everybody's super happy in their fornicating sex life? And all we have to do is turn to Ecclesiastes and see our friend Solomon, who had a thousand women. At his beck and call, not a happy man. No, it doesn't work. But God has provided in marriage, in commitment between two people, sexual gratification. And in there, it, it blossoms. You know, God has provided that. It, oh, people, why do people take drugs and alcohol? It releases dopamine in the brain. We saw that when we said, "Remember, we did, don't be drunk with wine." It releases dopamine, which makes the it's pleasure, gives pleasure to the brain, and it also releases other uh, amino acids that slow the brain down and does other stuff. I'm, I'm believe me, I'm no as you can see, I'm no expert at it. But has God not provided? The release of dopamine in the brain? Far more, far more than a drug, than a chemical. Far more. You will find in walking with God spontaneous joy. And also lasting joy. See, when you blitz the brain with some strong chemical... The brain releases tons of dopamine all at once, and you get this super, super high. But what happens to it? Do you stay there? No. You crash. And then what happens to you? The drug draws from you. Same with alcohol. It draws from you. So God has designed us to run on Him. And so with James, James, is you know, he just says pleasures. It could mean anything. Anything that we're searching for in the members of our body to give us pleasure. That's hedonism. And hedonism is now, right? We live at a day at a time. but hedonism is, I'm going to do what gives me pleasure right now, and I don't care about the consequences. right? If five minutes from now there's a consequence to this, I don't care. I'm just going to do it. And this is a philosophy, actually, that has been tried and tried and tried. And tried. I did a whole lot of, re- uh, not a whole lot, but I read a couple chapters today on, on Nietzsche. Uh, Nietzsche is probably the uh, pronunciation. Yeah, This is a guy who famously said, God is dead. But if you read the passage where you get God is dead from, it's far more impactful than just, you know, he's an atheist. He, he's, he is an atheist, or was. He went insane, by the way. Um, but he was an atheist. But he was also really smart, and and he absolutely understood that mankind was finding ways to get rid of God completely. And he was all for it, but he saw the impact on society. You know, society is built upon the divine. and People don't know this. But all the, the laws that keep us from chaos are from God. The laws, neighbor unto neighbor, that we're not going to steal from one another, and we're not going to kill one another, and we're going to maintain our families and our sovereignty. Where's that come from? It's divine. It comes from God. You throw that all out, and the entire foundation of society is gone. And then what do you have? You have just you, and it's it's awful. Right? Communist Russia. How did the USSR go? Awful. Communist China. Awful. They, t- they got they got rid of God. Thought they could run it on their own. Mankind isn't designed to run on his own. We're made in God's image. Even as fallen. So this word is never used in a good light. We'll, ha- we'll have to return... As I'm out of time here, we'll have to return to to look at this word at a future date, which would really be a, a, an interesting study. But just to give you where, one place where it's used, I'll give you all of them. What the heck? In Luke 8:14, this word for hedonism is used by our Lord in the parable of the sower. In Luke 8:14, this is the third category of the of the four in the parable of the sower. The seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard, and they go on their way, uh, sorry, and as they go on their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. Same word, hedene, pleasures of this life. Interestingly, uh, what Luke writes here for life is bios, where we get biology from. He doesn't use the word zoe, Zoe means of a, a more spiritual life, but bios means the physical life. And this pleasures of the bios, or bios, if that helps. And the bios is just like the members of the body. And what does it do? What do these pleasures do? They choke the word. Titus 3.3. 3. For we once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Titus here is describing us as unbelievers, and hedone is this word for pleasure. Again, Peter uses it for false teachers. And so if I could sprint to the end here. Oh, it's not bad. So it's never used in a good light. Uh, Not in the Bible. The philosophers use it in a good light here and there. but Because it could mean pleasure. The word hedone, it it meant to taste, or initially it meant a pleasurable taste like good food. There's certainly nothing wrong with that. uh, But, you know, again, where would God want you to enjoy anything? Right? Even enjoying food, to truly enjoy it is to know that it is a gift. Every time the Jews, before they ate, the Jews would pray that you, thank you, Lord, you are the giver of bread. Every day. Every time they ate. And we do too. You know, we pray. Most I'm, I hope you do. You, we pray for our food and, and we thank them for it. Uh, give us today our daily bread, right? It's prayer. Same with everything. What about marriage? Right? That comes, if, if you're enjoying, truly have joy in your marriage, it comes from God. That The husband and the wife look at each other in the proper roles that they should fulfill as God has commanded them. And So they submit. Their marriage is really of God. It's not of the earth. Same with family, with raising your children, or being being with your neighbors, or being in your church. Right, The church isn't from the earth. It can be. A lot of churches are based on earthly things. It's all about money and prestige and number of people and all of that. But the church should be about one thing and one thing only. Promoting the Lord Jesus Christ. His gospel to the unbeliever and Him to everybody in that church so that we may together rejoice in who He has made us to be and live out that. So there are getting back to addiction, I'll close with this. Um, and again, I'm, I'm using this loosely, the word addiction, not so much clinically. Because I know I'm not saying that all Christians are addicts to something. I'm saying that all of us are sinners. And for a lot of us, we have uh, areas of weakness that we have yet to conquer. And so I'm calling those areas addiction. The fact that there are many types of addiction is clear. And some are even socially acceptable. The great addiction that stands over them all is addiction to self. Why would I seek for pleasure in my members even though I'm a believer? Because I want me. I want my pleasure. And I don't want really God. Now, addiction to self is everybody. Right? As unbelievers, everybody is. We just read it in Titus, right? As Titus is still up there. You were once that. That's an addiction. That's an addiction to self. Uh, but this happens to all of us. All of us, as we become adults, you know, end up with voids in our hearts. Maybe we didn't have warm parents. We reached out to them as little kids. We didn't get the love back that we wanted. Kids are always seeking for love and affirmation. They always are. And even good parents, they don't give it to their kids all the time. It's impossible. You can't be perfect. There's no perfect parent. There's no perfect kid. But in our homes, what about in school? We just saw somebody the other day get severely picked on by, um, by somebody uh, we we, uh, we know uh, Chris and I know of someone in our family who's getting bullied in school. I think he's about twelve or something, eleven or twelve years old. It's heartbreaking. Um, and, you know and he's not the kind of kid that's gonna like well, should I say it <laughs> can I say by in the pulpit they should punch his bullies in the head? Uh, yes, I will. <laughs> sometimes you just got to stand up for yourself it's best for your future I'm not advocating your kids to fight don't start the fight how's that but don't get pushed around either by bullies bullies are weaklings but what it happens I was bullied I was I could still remember it when I was writing this for yesterday uh, when I was doing yesterday's message I, I I purposely went back in my memory for the times that I was spoken to in evil manner, and I spoke to others in evil manner. But what about this? You know, like what is it? What has happened to us in our journey that has left us with voids? And a lot of people, what we do with those voids is we seek substances, and I don't mean always chemicals, but often that is true. The number one addiction outside of tobacco is alcohol. In the whole world. It should be addressed from the church. It should be addressed from the pulpit. Which means that there are people in the church who are addicted to alcohol. And And it is bothering them. And I guarantee you, you can be free of it. But here's the thing. Whatever void you're filling with the chemical or the sin has to be filled with God. And so the thing has to be removed. But the whole has to be filled with God. And God is more than enough to not only fill it, but to make it overflow. And then you won't be a dry drunk. That's the term. I call it dry addict, a dry Christian, a dry whatever. You won't be that person who has a void inside because you don't get to do the sinful thing that you want to do, and you're angry about it, and you're irritable, and you're bitter, and you have no victory. See, James in this chapter is saying, look, I know you guys are pleasure seekers, and you have nothing. You ask, and what? You don't have. And you've even paid for it, and you don't have. And James is saying, I know how to set you free. And fill you, not just fill you, but have it overflow. And then you won't want those things anymore. You just won't want them. You're too filled with God. It's a place that Satan doesn't want you to be because you are so untemptable at that place. Because you're not hungry for the things that he has. Jesus said, you hunger for righteousness. And you will be satisfied. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. And thank you for the freedom that comes from the truth. Thank you from the freedom that comes by the Spirit who makes the truth real. So real, in fact, that it overwhelms us and changes us. May your word change us. If anyone out there is listening to me, if they, Father, have an addiction to something, open their hearts to the freedom And the cure. That they may be made whole. And not be slaves. But be free. This can happen. And it will happen father. As they give their lives to you. By faith. I pray father that you reveal that to them. And that you bring them to that place. Where they have no other choice. But to hand it over to you. I know that that may mean pain. But it it means pain to every one of us. We need your discipline, Father, as much as we need your blessings and grace. of all blessing and grace, and we thank you, Father, in Christ's name. Amen.